Um, but let's pray before we get into it this morning. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you for your presence. It's such a privilege to be in your presence. And God, beyond any song that is sung, any word that's spoken, anything that may happen on this microphone, Lord, I ask that your presence would do more than anything. God, I ask that your presence would um, seep into every fiber of our being to bring shift and transformation, bring hope and healing. And uh, Father, I know that you're reconciling all things to yourself. And so thank you for the privilege of being part of that today. Um, and again, we lift up our beautiful state of California and all those who are afflicted and in recovery. And we know some of the hardest days are ahead for towns and communities rebuilding. So God, we need your grace. We need your favor. We need an outpouring and an uprising of the church in these communities. And so God, whatever we can do, whatever the church can do in California, would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And God, for those who have, have suffered extreme loss, we ask that you'd be the God of hope, the God of comfort. And uh, those who are working, God, would you be the strength for them? In Jesus' name, we know the most glorious days are ahead for California. And though there be struggle, God, the future is so bright. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you guys for continuing to pray and, and uh, just believe with us. Um, this morning, uh, I'm preaching a message. I've actually preached this message before. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever done that before. I don't think I've ever preached the same thing twice at this church. But I just felt like someone needed to hear it today. And uh, we've made a commitment as a church to be interruptible. Um, no matter what, we, we'll just stay interruptible. Sometimes man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And uh, so sometimes you can know where you're headed, but God knows exactly how to get there. And uh, we just believe it's one of those days today. And uh, man, how good was last Sunday with Mike Taylor? Um, yeah, I still am just ruined by what he brought, not, not even just the message, but just the heart that he carries. And God did something really profound. And, and uh, I, I feel, I hope you do too, just a renewed vision uh, for what God's doing in this community. And, and it's pretty simple, really. Um, for 2019, our church, uh, our vision, we've been praying as a staff multiple times a week. And we just feel like a simple vision is that Christ should be formed in us. It's simple. Uh, maybe there's a building attached to it, maybe there's an initiative, maybe there's things of tangible vision, but really our vision for our church in 2019 that Christ would be formed in us. Galatians 4, he, Paul talks about he, he bears the pains of childbirth that Christ might be formed in this church. And uh, I think we've been feeling that the pains of childbirth that Christ may come forth among us. And so um, it's a simple vision, but I, I feel really excited about it. And I'm going to talk about Jesus today. Is that all right? Um, this is a really profound sermon title. Um, if you can write it down, do it. It's called You, Me, and Jesus. Um, right? Someone say, wow. It's impressive. Oh, I spent a lot of time on that. Um, just going to talk about the love of Jesus today. <laughs> um, we're going to go to Matthew 15. You can read along on the Bible in the sky. Uh, it says this. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it 
to the dogs. Are you encouraged? <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but a lot of times in Scripture, I'm thankful I'm not the one responding to a situation. Um, like, you know, King David, when he has an opportunity to kill his enemy and take him at a weak moment, he chooses not to. And I think most days I would choose to kill my enemy, my opponent, right? And then Jesus says things like, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Like, a mile seems like a lot, Jesus, most days, two miles. And ultimately, Jesus hanging on a cross, um, persecuted, bloodied, beaten, betrayed, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That would not be my response, if I'm honest. Uh, I would hope so, but in reality, most days, I'm, I'm just not there. But... Can I say, in this, in this one particular encounter, uh, I, I think I would have done better. <laughs> I think I would have been nicer. I think I would have been more inclusive. I think I would have had more compassion, more understanding. I mean, there's a lady crying at the feet of Jesus, asking for his mercy with a demon-possessed daughter standing nearby. And Jesus first ignores her. Then he excludes her, and then he calls her a little dog. <laughs> Anybody think they could have done better? Right? Like, that's harsh. That's brutal. Uh, and, and, but what we need to understand about this passage that I want to unpack today is that um, to make sense of Jesus' interesting address, this is really a message of community. This is a passage. This is a living illustration that Jesus gives as community. And there's two sides of the story to this. There's um, a, a woman with a great need, with a demon-possessed daughter, and then uh, over here there's disciples who are learning the ways of Jesus. They're a rabbi. And so they are in the school of Jesus, following his every footstep, listening to his every word, holding on every moment with him. And then there's a woman with a need. And a lot of Western, um, I guess, philosophy would say things like this, that uh, I, I think, therefore I am. But I love this Eastern idea that I am because we are. I am because we are. My life is so connected to yours. It's unbelievable. The way that our lives intertwine and intersect and what God's doing in your life directly affects what he's doing in my life. Do you know that? And what he isn't doing in your life directly affects my life because I choose to pray and believe. And So we're connected. I am because we are. I think that's a beautiful statement. And so right now for the disciples, Jesus is being a rabbi. For this woman, he's about to come as Messiah and healer and the hope giver. And so firstly, we're going to talk about the woman um, who was in a, a bit of a rough place. And, and firstly, i got to set the context here. Jesus should not be talking to a woman, um, and especially a Greek woman. How is a Jew talking to a Greek woman? Some people who have studied this would say that because Jesus' father, Joseph, was a carpenter and Jesus was the same, they worked on a theater nearby, and the, all the uh, hired hands that were building this theater were Greek-speaking. And so Jesus would have had a great understanding of Greek and been able to interface with anybody. And I, I love the thought of that. That growing up, he had no clue building a theater that one day, I mean, he probably knew because he was God, but go with me here. <laughs> that one day there, he would need to reach a Greek woman. And uh, I, I've got a friend, Michael, who works at a, uh, worked at a cookie shop, a cookie kiosk. And I think he's like 26 years old and if you work at a cookie shop, no offense, but it's just not quite the vision he had for his life when he was 26. And, but he's working at a cookie shop, handing out cookies, selling them all day long, a little kiosk on a busy street. And uh, he's also a cricket player, obviously not from California. He's a cricket player. 
And uh, one day God spoke to him and said, I want you to be a cop. And so, believe it or not, Michael comes to me and he says, man, it's, it's incredible that being in a cookie shop, having people skills and playing cricket and having athletic skills, I was born to be a cop. Like, you never know what God's going to do with where you're at right now. Do you agree? And so, Jesus, growing up, has this ability to cross cultural lines. And uh, then... The other thing about this is that even in public, a rabbi did not talk to a female member of their own family. So a woman interaction should not be happening in the public streets with a rabbi, a female, even male to female. It was incredibly unacceptable in the time and in the place. So this woman thing should not have been happening. But how many of you know as Christians, as followers of Christ, our lives should be a little bit peculiar? A little bit peculiar. Like, I hope there's circumstances in my life where people say, John shouldn't be doing that according to our society and culture and expectation, right? I think of, uh, you've heard this story before, those who haven't. I bought a truck uh, like last June, and uh, I, I really wanted an older Toyota Tacoma, low miles, one owner, and as cheap as I can get it. And my friend Caleb is a, is a car broker, and so he'd been on the lookout for him, and we found one in Pacific Palisades near near uh, Malibu, down south. And so we drove down there in the morning, and and uh, we were greeted by this great Russian man. His name was Ogani, Ogani Val. And he had a thick Russian accent and just a nice, lovable guy, but questionable, you know, because they didn't. <laughs> he, he was like a multimillionaire in this mansion on a hill, but he had an 08 Tacoma. I was trying to figure all that out. And, um so we take it for a test run. It runs great. I like it. I'm, I'll take it. And uh, so I, I say I'll take it, and he's showing me around the car and opens the back compartments. And he says something like this, nonchalant, I think is a joke. He says, that's where I keep my gas mask. Okay, funny, Russian guy, in the midst of all this, like, chemical warfare stuff happening over in Europe. Like, I thought he was making a joke about being Russian and having a gas mask and whatever. And so we continue on, and we leave, drive down the road a little ways, and we stop for food. And, and I just think, i got to know if that guy was kidding or not. So I, I open up the back compartment under the seat, and sure enough, there is like a World War I, like, legitimate gas mask. Like, scary. I, I should have brought it again. But it's this really scary gas mask, right? And this, so this Russian guy keeps a gas mask just in his daily driver around town in L.A. I'm thinking, what's this, what's this guy know that I don't know? <laughs> Right? What's this guy know that I don't know? And that, that's the point, that there was something about the way that this guy was living his life that I said, what's this guy know that I don't know? I think all of us need a Russian gas mask somewhere in our arsenal. Would you agree? What do these people know that I don't know? And then things like this. Get, get this statement I was thinking about the other day. <laughs> My wife and I got a lady pregnant in Big Five the other day. That's peculiar. But we were at Big Five, and we had our two babies, and this lady started asking about them. And uh, we said, oh, they're six months old and almost one year old. And if you ever say it, that's peculiar in itself. People cannot figure that out. Some people don't put it together right away, which is funny. They think that's possible. <laughs> um, it's not biologically possible to have a six-month-old and a one-year-old. And uh, so we tell her our story, and she starts crying. She says, what was the adoption process like, or what is it like? And, and we were able to explain it to her. She said, I, I think I'm going to start 
exploring adoption because I, I haven't been able to have a baby. And she was crying in Big Five. Her name's Christy. And uh, really touched in an emotional moment. And we just said in that moment, hey, can we pray for you? We said, we've seen barren women give birth. We've seen it over and over again. Women couldn't have children, and God gives them a baby. So can we pray for you? Look, I don't know the update, but I firmly believe that my wife and I got a lady pregnant in Big Five the other day. <laughs> it's a little bit peculiar <laughs> to live like Jesus lived and who you interact with and how you approach life and how you say things and do things and believe for things. And so that's a bit of the scenario where the lady's at at the moment. We go over here to the disciples. And uh, just previously to this encounter with this lady, Jesus was teaching his disciples about what to call clean and unclean. It was an illustration of washing hands. Some people were upset because the disciples didn't wash their hands correctly. <laughs> we know those type of people. <laughs> oh. And so he was teaching about clean and unclean, hand washing. Jesus will teach you everything, I guess. Um, and so they're talking about clean and unclean. And this Canaanite woman becomes a flesh and blood example for the disciples because get this. The, uh, the disciples now are, are our heroes. You know, we look back and we think this is how God established the church. And these unlikely guys that uh, uh, accumulated to be the disciples of Jesus. And we see signs and wonders and miracles and an outpouring of God on the earth. But even these disciples had deeply held prejudices growing up as Jews in the Middle East. And so the thing about their beliefs is that they would have excluded women. And they would have also considered that Jesus was only coming for the Jews and the Jews alone, that there would never be a Messiah for the Gentiles. He was coming to redeem Israel, which is true. Israel really is the favored nation. It really, if I could say that even now, it, it's a favored nation. Israel is God's pursuit. It's the epicenter of what he has done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. Israel, pray for Israel. Um, but the disciples, I guess you could say, were a bit small-minded. And, and so... This encounter where the disciples witnessed Jesus interact with a Canaanite woman would have been a defining time. And it, it would have exposed deeply held prejudices inside of the disciples. And, and, uh, and uh, this is a great quote. I, I don't know who said it. But sometimes God has to offend our mind to reveal our heart. Sometimes God has to offend our mind to reveal our heart. And we're going to see how this plays out right here. We're going to go back to this. And. Again, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out. So the disciples in this moment are saying, we are correct. What I've known and understood, Jesus is now personifying by ignoring that's really annoying. This lady's annoying, Jesus. She doesn't fit in the picture of what you're doing on the earth. And so there probably would have been a boost of confidence in the disciples seeing Jesus' reaction. And so they chime in and say, send her away. Get her out of here. This lady who does not look like us, act like us, sound like us, and have the same gender as us, send her away, for she keeps crying out. And then Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep. Of Israel. Now, I, I, to fill in some gaps, I have to believe that the disciples are starting to question their beliefs now because 
if you've ever been around a demon-possessed person, it is not quiet. It is not subtle. It is intense. And it steals all the intention in an environment. Anybody been around a demon-possessed person before? Anybody cast out a demon before? It's not pretty. <laughs> it's intense. I remember holding a guy's head six inches above the ground, just a normal dude who I knew and kind of grew up with. And, and he started manifesting a demon, and he was trying to bash his head into the ground. And it stole the attention of the room, let me tell you. He got set free. He's doing well. But, uh, <laughs> and so we're like praying, and he's trying to bash his head. And so if you could imagine this lady with a daughter who's demon-possessed screaming bloody murder just within earshot of the disciples. It's a scene, stealing attention. There's a genuine need, and the mom is in desperation for her daughter to be set free. And so now Jesus escalates and, and he says that he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And now I have to believe that the disciples think, oh, we're really going to walk away? <laughs> There's a genuine need in, in, in our Messiah. He's going to just journey on. And we'll, we'll just hear the screaming in the distance as we go about our day. And so I think now that there was a moment where they started to question some deeply held prejudices. And they must have started to feel bad. And Jesus takes it up a notch. He says, the woman, it says, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I believe that these disciples had to feel terrible by now. Would you agree? A screaming little girl and a mom in desperation, and Jesus calls her a dog. There has to be a moment of thinking, oh, man. And maybe catching on by now. Maybe Jesus is personifying what I had categorized in my mind as clean and unclean. And, and continuing on, she says this. She's brilliant. She says this. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And I guarantee you in that moment, the disciples say, you know what? She has a point. <laughs> She's got a point, Jesus. Let, let, let's do something about this woman with a desperate need. And then it finishes off so beautifully. And it says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. See, sometimes God has to offend your mind. To reveal your heart. The, guy, the way these guys had grown up thinking that Jesus is exclusive to people who look like me, sound like me, believe like me, act like me, is a counter-religion to Christianity. It's counter to the gospel of Jesus. These guys had subscribed to that religion their whole lives. And now Jesus is saying, okay, it's, we're going to need to... <laughs> You're going to need to go a little bit more in depth than hand washing. Here's a real need. Here's a human being with a genuine need, and he there addresses these deeply held prejudices. And we think, shoot, did uh, Jesus dishonor this woman by using her as an example? No. Especially, again, culturally. There's this quote, you know, the, the coach puts in the best runner for the hardest race. And so you can interpret Jesus using this woman as an example of knowing the great faith of this woman. I, I, I trust you. I'm going to put you in front of my disciples as a teaching lesson. And I believe that on the other side, you are going to be strong enough to have the faith. And so he actually honors this woman publicly by 
being used as, as, from a Messiah, which I think is another beautiful thing. And look, I just got to chime in on this for one second. Is that okay? <laughs> it's mind-blowing, mind-boggling that still in California, in the Christian church, there is an undermining and displacement of women alone and in the place of ministry. Blows me away. Still, people heal, hold prejudices. <laughs> Wish I could say that word so much better. They still hold a prejudice in their heart towards women in a place of authority. In 2018, right? It blows me away. And then they use this scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, you know, women must keep silent in the assembly and they must submit. It's out of context. Because just before that in chapter 11, he encourages women to prophesy, to encourage. The first evangelist, Matthew chapter 4, was a woman. <laughs> an evangelist, an apostle, if you will, the entire town was saved. Was the testimony of this woman. Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when he begins to reveal scripture, and it says their hearts burned within him. They mentioned the name Cleopas, but studies would show that it was Cleopas and his wife. Her name was Mary, different Mary. Jesus gets up from the tomb. Who's the first person? Mary, the woman. He's walking down the road. Who does he reveal his scripture to? Cleopas and Mary, a couple, a woman, entrusts his gospel, his word, reveals scripture to him. And so I'm just going to say in this house, we will always empower women. In this house, like, I, I, th I thought it was funny. When that came to my attention, I've just grown up. Like, there's never been a segregation in my mind between male and fem female in a place of ministry. I've just never grown up that way. But it still somehow exists. And look, man, if you hear that and you find yourself offended, I would challenge you to let it reveal your heart. <coughs> Continuing on. <laughs> no. Because how, how cool is this? In this story that we just saw, Jesus cares for the woman. He cares for the disciples. He cares for everybody all at the same time. Everybody's in on this thing. It's a message of community. You know, everyone can be blessed at the same time. <laughs> and maybe if you don't feel blessed and someone else is blessed, it's just an opportunity, a teaching lesson, as the disciples had. A flesh and blood example that I'll rejoice always. In all things, rejoice. I'm going to pray continually. But they got blessed and I didn't. And then now you stop praying, you stop thanking, you stop praising. And God's saying, hey, <laughs> remember what you said. It's a message of community across the board, what God's doing in us, among us, and through us as a people. Sometimes God has to offend your mind to reveal your heart. Will you let him? Maybe... In this way, everything you've known about your future is going to get turned upside down as God calls you out into the unknown. That's offensive. He offends your plans. He uh, offends your career path. Yeah, that's good, Alicia. I trust you. Will you let him offend your mind a little bit to reveal your heart? And Look, some, sometimes these things are like uh, our, our beliefs and what God is capable of doing. I, I'm going to share this story again because it still wrecks me. I grew up um, in church, um, but I realized along the road at some point I had a small mindset of what God was capable of doing. And so 
my life got transformed. I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 17 years old. I was never the same, still not the same from that encounter when I was 17 years old and went on this journey with God to see my friends saved. And if you ever want to know why I do it, my dude, it's just because my friends. Y'all are great. And I love you and I'm going to keep pouring into you. But really where my heart and what, my, what grips me is my friends and my family. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I grew up in a scene where I did pretty good. I came from a good home and had dabbled in some things here and there. But a lot of my friends around me became addicted to drugs and drinking. A lot of them came from broken homes. And I was right in the middle of a, of a pretty rough scene. And so after I got saved, I, I made it my mission that all of my friends would be saved. And uh, so it was a Wednesday night at our old building, and, and uh, I, I had been hanging out with one of my friends. He was, uh, at that time, very addicted to drugs and had just had an overdose at a rave in L.A. And so I hung out with him the next day and, and uh, just hung out in his room, and he was laid out flat for two or three days and just would sing and pray. And then another friend came by, and it was, uh, he was on, uh, addicted to heroin at the time and dealing heroin. And we hung out for a while and, and uh, just got to do life with these guys for a long time. And uh, so the time came where I invited the one friend to church on a Wednesday night. And uh, he didn't have a car at the time. He, he had pretty much lost everything to drugs. And so he needed a ride to church. And so the other guy gave him a ride to church. He had never been in church in his whole life, this other guy. He's 18 years old at the time, had stolen thousands of dollars um, to deal, supply his drug um, addiction. And, uh, but he just happens to give my other friend a ride, and he thinks, I don't want to go home and then come back when this thing's done, so I'm just going to come in and sit in the back. And so I'm sitting in the back of, of the church, one of my best friends on this side, and now one of my best friends on this side, and, and we're just hanging out in the back of, of church, and I really didn't think much of it. I thought that this was going to be like a five-year plan, you know, where we just keep hanging out, keep loving, and occasionally there's signs of repentance, and maybe they'll give up heroin and just do speed, I, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> like you, you think of this like, I don't know if that's better or worse or what, but, right, like, you think there's like this progression, like, um. And uh, that was my mindset. But we're sitting in church, and the one who gave the other guy a ride says, hey, is it cool if I go to the front? And I look over my other friend, and he's crying. Yeah, we should go to the front. And all three of us are crying. I don't remember what portion of the service it was. I don't know if it was time for that. But, <laughs> but um, all three of us, weeping, walked to the front of the church. We knelt down at the altar. They're, they were they both came into church high, and they were immediately sober-minded. And uh, then there was about three hours of encounter at the front of that church of repentance, reconciliation, setting free from addiction, chains being broken. And uh, I came away from that night thinking, God, thank you for offending and blowing the box off of anything I ever thought was possible. Right? And uh, both to this day doing extremely well, sober, clean, killing it. And so get this, like that, that's, that's, that's a, a little bit blowing the box off. And then to one of them I said, Matt, or he said, hey, can we do a Bible study? Like other people got to know about this, you know. I said, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> and uh, so we start doing uh, like a Monday night, I think it was Monday night Bible study. That happened on a Wednesday. It was the following Monday. And so we just invite some friends to our old office. It was a house on Grand Avenue. And I said, all right, Matt, take it away. And so here was a drug addict, just set free, not much knowledge or anything. And he took the lead of the Bible study, and everybody in the room got saved. 
right? <laughs> then we did it again the next week, and same thing, encounter, weeping, drugs, addiction. But you know what's funny about these meetings these, is that we would take smoke breaks. <laughs> right? I just think, man, if some religious Christians were to walk by my office and see the people and smell the smell, <laughs> they would be incredibly offended. But you know our lives are supposed to look a little peculiar. One of them, I'm still believing for, he still sends me death threats. That was like, because <laughs> he's schizophrenic. Not, don't worry, not worried about it. But we had an eclectic group of people is what I'm trying to say in the room. <laughs> but the amount of people that we saw saved and set free and come out of addiction, it's really why I do what I do. And I, I've seen too much now. I've been too offended in my small thinking to ever think that God can't do it again. I'm convinced that neither death nor life. Angels nor demons, the present nor future, nor any powers. There's no height nor depth nor anything in creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a good word, Romans 8. And so now, in light of this encounter with this woman, we have to understand it's our job as a church to live a different way. And... uh, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, there's typically a, a, a passage that says, I'll teach you a more excellent way. Have you guys seen that? I'll teach you a more excellent way. But this guy, Kenneth Bailey, who lived in the Middle East for 60 years and a scholar in language and studying theology, has come up with some great interpretations of Scripture um, through knowing and reading. And he would say that as Paul was writing this, um, there was not a word in the common language that were, was to ex- uh, describe the love that Paul had encountered. There was these two types of love thus far. Phileo, which is like between friends and family, or eros, which is a passionate, kind of like uh, romantic sort of love. So eros and phileo, and neither of these two words were going to adequately describe what Paul was trying to communicate about the love that is to be shown among Christians. And uh, so Paul and his fellow writers were trying to communicate this, this higher level of love, so they used the term agapo, or now agape, and it only appears as a noun one time it, uh, elsewhere in Scripture, and it's rare in the classical Greek, it has to do with inclining towards. So Paul and his friends took this word, inclining towards, agape, agapo, and they gave it new meaning. They gave it new meaning. They said, inclining towards, that's the type of love that we've encountered, it's a higher love, it's a more excellent way, and so they use the word agape, and so I love this intro into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, our our love passage, the love is patient, love is kind, if I prophesy and do all I can and speak to mountains and whatever I may do, if it's without love, it actually counts me nothing, anything that I would ever do in my life, if it doesn't have love, it counts me nothing, love endures all, suffers all. And uh, so they talk about this inclining towards, this way that the church is to posture itself towards humanity in perfect love. And uh, he said, I'll show you directions for a journey over a mountain pass. Because, you know, sometimes love is really difficult. (laughs) Journeying over a mountain pass is never easy. Would you agree? I I can barely climb a hill, let alone a mountain. (laughs) Who laughed? I like hiking, I get it that it's some people's hobby. I just don't have that hobby. (laughs) 
But you know what I notice about when I make that dumb decision to say, I'll go on a hike with you. <laughs> Whenever we get to the top, I think, man, this was worth it. <laughs> right? You wake up early, you get dirty, you sweat. You could be doing so many other better things. <laughs> but then you get to the heights and, and you look at it and you think, man, this is so worth it. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. I'll give you directions for a journey over a mountain pass. It's this type of love that is a little bit difficult and it takes accepting and including and it gets messy and there's going to be drug addicts and there's going to be schizophrenics and there's going to be people who don't look like you, sound like you. They're going to be of a different uh, religion even. There's going to be some differences here, but let me tell you, there's a more excellent way. There is directions for a journey over a mountain pass and it's called agape love, perfect love. And you think, where else did Jesus reference heights? If we're navigating something, scaling a mountain, where else did Jesus talk about heights? He, he, he says this, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You know how the church got way up high? <laughs> they chose a more excellent way. You know how the church scaled a mountain that set itself apart from culture, society, that is a, you slap me on this cheek, I'll slap you on that cheek. But really in the church, it's you turn the other cheek and really you go two miles and really you lend without expecting anything back. Those are all scaling the heights that the church would be on a mountaintop, a hilltop, and it can't be hidden. People can't ignore that sort of love. It's too obvious. It's too blatant in our society. And uh, it takes work, but it's so worth it getting to that hilltop. Um, and one thing about a hilltop is you get a, a, a way better perspective. Would you agree? Colossians 3 says it really well. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Isn't that good? A new perspective from the heights. From the heights. One other cool thing. This is in addition to the last time I spoke this message about, about this woman. This woman was right in saying, or Jesus was right in saying that he came to the lost sheep of Israel. That was a true statement. And she herself was not included in that group of people. And still to this day, like I said, Israel is a favored country. It, it, it was God's pursuit, Israel, his people, to get his people back. And it was not yet a mindset or a belief in Jesus' encounter with this lady that the gospel was for Gentiles, for everybody. And this lady had faith to believe that she could actually speed up time. <laughs> like she implied that she was going to bypass events in order to receive an inheritance. And Jesus said, ah, this is great faith. You don't have to wait. And look, there's some things that we can see from a heavenly perspective that I just believe you don't have to wait for. I love, I love this quote by N.T. Wright about Matthew 15. He said, being a Christian in the world today often focuses on the faith that badgers and harries God in prayer to do now already what others are content to wait for in the future. In the early 19th century, many Christians agreed that slavery was evil and would eventually have to stop, but not many wanted to do it just yet. William Wilberforce and his friends worked and prayed, devoting their lives to the belief that, that what would happen in the future had to happen. By God's power in the present as well. That is the great faith upon which Jesus congratulated this woman. What then are the issues we face today? Which promises of God 
have we imagined might be fulfilled in the distant future, but ought to be claimed in the present with a prayer and faith which refuses to be put off. Ah. Jess, you can come play keys. That, that's good. Look, there's some things you thought you had to wait for. But I can tell you, you can have the prayer, and you can have the faith to expect it now. It's not needy children talk. It's children talk. (laughs) It's kids who understand who their father is. And they approach him with this understanding, this conviction, this expectation that I don't have to wait. Whatever the injustice is, whatever the addiction is, whatever it may be, I, I, I don't just see the future in heaven when we go. Josiah explained this brilliantly two weeks ago that Heaven is here. And so we can ask, what's in heaven that isn't on earth? And what's on earth that isn't in heaven? I know in heaven there's no cancer. I know in heaven there's unity. I know in heaven there's no racial indifference. I I know in heaven there's not a polarized nation. I don't have to wait. What does Jesus say? I'll teach you how to pray. Our Father who's in heaven. Holy, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bypassing generations and generations. You thought, some of you in this room right now, you thought because you're a first generation Christian, it was going to take a while for your family to be okay. It was going to take a few generations. It's not the truth. Your family's okay. (laughs) They're going to be fine. You just started an entire new trajectory for your family line. You don't have to wait generations. Some of you thought like I did that for the addict in your family, they're going to have to do less bad drugs (laughs) before they do no drugs. Sometimes that's the path, but jump (laughs) the timeline. Bypass some history. Bypass some death and destruction and defeat. The type of faith that Jesus honors. So this lady had great faith. Great faith. And um, this morning, I guess the response is, is to get our head in the clouds. <laughs> Anybody want to get their head in the clouds? Anybody just want to see a different perspective? I think it's okay for a Christian to have their head in the clouds. As long as their feet are on the ground, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But to get perspective, to see from the heights, as we climb and scale the mountain of love, because God is going to open our eyes to see. And uh, I want to pray for some people today. Is that okay? If we could stand. I was going to ask for permission, but... Look, I, I know we don't have much room up here, but I, I think um, there's something about that initiative in the natural to, to engage something in the spiritual. Um, and so if you want to get your head in the clouds, <laughs> would you come forward? Um, to see people different, to see circumstance different, to see people 
as God would see them, to see your own life as God sees your own life. What's about to happen is that you're about to be raised with Christ, and you're going to set your heart on things above where Christ is, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And God's going to give you a supernatural grace to keep your mind on things above. You don't have to continually dabble in the things of this world. You just don't. I'm going to pray. and Just in a posture of receiving hands open, however that looks for you. It could be absolutely nothing. Whatever it is, if your heart's open to receive from the Father. He's, he, he's going to lift you up. <laughs> he's going to raise you up. So Heavenly Father, right now, I trust that your arms are strong enough to lift us up. I trust that your Holy Spirit's good enough to lead us into truth. I trust that Jesus, the price you paid is enough to cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we would really know what it's like to have the mind of Christ. Maybe that, I just feel led in this moment, maybe that's the first step for some people right now is repentance. It's easy. We talked about it recently. It's easy. Just repent. Say sorry. Turning around back to you, God. It's not a long way back. Just coming back to you. Coming back to you. From that place, I just believe it's not right back to the same perspective, the same view, the same. I believe that in that turning around, Christ is lifting you up to where he is. A whole new view. And so in partnership with this prayer, as we just read, there is this faith. And God, I ask for the gift of faith on each person that's responding this morning. God, the type of faith that bypasses if we could say Easter, Easter hadn't even happened yet. And she was believing the gospel was for her. The type of faith that bypasses generational curses. The type of faith that bypasses and has no regard for chains of addiction. We don't have regard for that. It's not part of our vernacular. My faith is, God, do it now. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Mm. And I, I have to believe that those who came forward this morning had a specific circumstance, situation, mindset that they were believing to be set free from. So right now, whatever that specific thing is, I, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. You got to go. <laughs> you can't live here. You don't have permission, guy. <laughs> holy ground so we're seated in heaven with Christ and the filth and the ick you can't come <laughs> you're not invited thank you for it in Jesus name thank you for it hmm. well just a moment again in your own reflection this is about you and God beyond what I may say it's about you and God. Take us up. Get our head in the clouds.
Hey, Chase. It's good to see you. I knew this was for somebody. Um, you know how you put oil in water and it separates? Um, I feel like there may have been a, a, a cross-pollinating in your life of things that got confusing. There's like a lot of stuff. Like how do I sort it out? How do I decide what is and what isn't, what should be truth, not whatever that may have looked like in your life. And I just saw God pour, pouring oil in your life to separate things. And you knew exactly in that moment what it is that needed to be separated, what needed to be drawn out. And that God's given you a grace of discernment, a gifted discernment, to know the way to go, to know truth versus untruths. And I just believe in that moment that God gave you a gift. He gave you a grace. So, Lord, I pray for Chase right now in this moment. God, I ask for a separating of things that need not be in his life. I, I declare and I ask for the anointing oil to consume him in Jesus' name. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I, I connect my faith to the faith of this Canaanite woman. You can bypass a process, Chase. It's not a long way back. You can bypass a process right now in this moment. And I would say don't, don't go the hard way. <laughs> don't go the long way. It's just, it's easy. It's quick. You're right. Yeah. Repentance. Turn around. That's it. Cool? Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Good. Glad you're here. Awesome. So cool. Jack Motter. Um, I, you may have thought this, but I, I just thought this. Um, you blend in so well that sometimes you get overlooked. Um, and I, I feel like God is highlighting something in your life that's bringing you out from blending in in such a profound way. And I know sometimes just with, you're just easy going. You just go with the flow, fit here, fit there, wear a lot of hats, whatever you need to do. And part of that's a gift on your life. But I, I really do see and believe God putting a defining attribute about, even to the depths of your personality, there's something that's going to come alive that's going to separate you, that's going to bring a new, like a spotlight, just a, like a highlighting of your life um, that no longer will be overlooked, it no longer will be ignored. It's actually something that we've platformed among you, whether it's at work or here at church, whatever it is, I just believe God for that. So Lord, I thank you for a release of that right now in Jesus' name. Um, draw it out of him. And even in this journey up to a new perspective, God, I ask that you would help Jack to see him as you see him in Jesus' name. That he would see himself as you see him from the heights, from up high, in Jesus' name. I'm going to end with this scripture um, in Hebrews 10 to encourage us as a church, as a body of believers. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And so, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here it is. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Sorry, I'm going to finish with this verse. (laughs) Psalm 105. Can you just let the word wash over you? It's the best preacher. It says this, for the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He's so loving that it will amaze you. So kind that it will astound you. And he is famous for his faithfulness, here it is, toward all. Toward Canaanite women who have no place in the story. Everyone knows our God can be trusted for he keeps his promise to every generation. And so, Lord, as we go from this place in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you again help us to understand the vastness of your love towards us and towards humanity? That we would agree that you're famous for your faithfulness towards all people, regardless of creed, color, concern, political agenda, whatever it may be, God, regardless, you're faithful of saving everybody, faithful for to it. You came to seek and save all that was lost. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Cool? Awesome. Thank you, guys.